0: Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Rusky and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action of Wisconsin. And welcome to another beautiful week from Wisconsin. We have our full panel, which means Claire Zauke, our healthcare director here at Citizen Action, is with us. Claire, it's great to see you safe. Looking again from your from your home.
1: Thank you. Good to be here on this sunny day.
0: Yes, it is. It is. Robert Craig is also with us. Robert, the Executive Director here at Citizen Action of Wisconsin. Robert, also good to see you safely from your
2: Bayview home. Yes, greetings to our radio and digital listeners.
0: So we have, uh, we're going to actually start the show uh, on the federal level talking about Ron Johnson. We have a number of topics we're going to get at the state level. It's been a busy week in the Uh, legislature. And since we last talked to you, there was the motion in joint finance uh, regarding the state budget and a number of really important items. We're going to talk more about that later in the show. But we are going to start by talking about Senator Ron Johnson, just because we've had him on our show topic list just about every uh, week for the last month. We don't always get to Ron because we want to focus on state stuff. But we need to focus on him. He, as we have talked about before, is really um, fully embraced the QAnon conspiracy side, has fully laid out this plan to run uh, with those folks uh, into his reelection. election uh, And one of the things we wanted to talk about this week is what he's been doing to further embrace and become a national darling around anti-vaccination. It's it's particularly pernicious because of the situation we're in with the broader uh, rush or push to try to get to herd immunity and get significant amounts of folks vaccinated. Robert, um, I know you've been tracking Ron Johnson a lot and you're regularly sending me things of the latest ridiculous things he has been saying, but this particular, th- this aspect, very pernicious. Uh, Give us an update on what uh, Ron Johnson has been doing nationally to embrace himself with the right.
2: Well, it's not too hard to track Ron Johnson. I don't want to overstate it. He is making himself notorious. Uh, Look, he is much more than Ted Cruz or Josh Hawley, the uh, earlier stars of Trumpism, out there with the absolutely worst stuff. I mean, we can go back to the idea that the, uh, the insurrectionists weren't Trump supporters, Then he wasn't afraid of them because they're good Americans, but he'd be afraid of Black Lives Matter if they'd sacked the Capitol, if uh, Trump had won. Like, it's not only the racism of that, it's also the fact that Black Lives Matter has never done anything remotely like that. This is a right-wing nationalist and insurrectionist thing. And that's where the violence comes from in our society. And now he's really leaned in uh, to disinformation around the vaccine, uh, the COVID vaccine, which is about one of the most dangerous, reckless things you can imagine. It's not just him, I mean, Tucker Carlson, the top rated host on Fox News is doing the same thing. And this week we, they were joined together, Ron Johnson on Tucker Carlson, Uh, saying that people shouldn't be forced to take the vaccine, but spinning this false narrative that there is a lot of people who have died from the vaccine. And he and Mr. Carlson, who is rumored to be potentially running for president if Trump doesn't, are citing a database that anyone can add to. It's just reports. And all it really is, is People who got vaccinated and later died, there is no relationship between the vaccine and death. People die all the time. It's an unfortunate part of life. But the fact that you got vaccinated in March, let, uh, let's say you're elderly, and then you die in May does not mean the vaccine has anything to do with it whatsoever. And so the overwhelming uh, research is that these are incredibly safe vaccines. And this risks us getting to herd immunity. It's really slowing down in Wisconsin. It's especially slowing down in the Republican base, which is who would listen to Ron Johnson. So you really do have to ask yourself, how many people have to die for Ron Johnson's political career? And I do think it raises the question of some people just want to say he's crazy, he's nuts. And it's not good for us to use mental health comparisons anyway, because that stigmatizes the mentally ill. But... He could be, uh, you know, wily like a fox here. He is positioning himself to get the Trump turnout that occurred in 2020. And just remember, Trump almost won this election, outperforming the polls by eight points and almost, and nipping Biden at the heels here in Wisconsin because we got massive turnout on the Democratic side. But they got really unexpected turn, uh, turnout. They got peasants with pitchforks from the hills. And he knows how to rev them up and he's in the right places to do it. So this is really looking, to me, more malicious than it is, you know, uh, than it, than it is deranged.
0: Robert, you, you point out where we're at, far from herd immunity. Uh, currently, roughly, we're saying around 46 percent of Wisconsin's population has received one dose. Uh, and we're, you know, so... It's above some of the Southern states, but Claire, this is still far, far from herd immunity. Huge problem. Uh, wanna get your comments both on Ron Johnson, but also you know, this broader situation we remain in, in terms of trying to you know, get folks vaccinated.
1: Ron Johnson's comments, as Robert laid out, um, fall into this category that I really despise of fear-mongering comments that are really anti-science but veiled in sort of fake science, uh, right? And so, and so they sound like they could be plausible, right? Like he says this thing about, well, it's gonna cause your immune system to react in this way. And, and, right, and if you don't think about it or you don't know anything about science or you're primed to believe everything that somebody like Ron Johnson says, um, you could, you could think like, oh, this has sort of the veil of the, you know, it smacks of being scientific, right? And, and but when in fact it, it's just completely um, false and not based in science and, um, you know, they talk about fake news all the time, but this is fake science um, and uh it, uh it has the possibility of, of slowing down the already sort of slowing vaccine distribution uh, in Wisconsin, and this is something that I imagine public health officials always knew was going to happen. That at some point, everybody who rushed and wanted to get the vaccine would and could get could get it easily um, would sort of receive it, and then we would hit this um, sort of hit this uphill climb where now we're having to start reaching people who uh, for whom accessing the vaccine is not easy because of. Um, their Their work schedule or um, where they live, um, as well as reaching people who are skeptical of getting the vaccine, right? Um, and so in Wisconsin, you're right, um, about 45% of people in the state um, have received the vaccine. Um, or I will say though that the um, sort of racial disparities that we've talked about repeatedly, throughout um, this podcast as it relates to COVID, but also vaccine distribution persist. So according to uh, Wisconsin's Department of Health Services website, uh, 41.7% of Wisconsin's white residents have received at least one dose. So that's about 2.1 million people, Um, but only 21.1% of Wisconsin's black residents have received uh, one dose, which is about 90,600 people. Um, so, so you see, um, and and I say this to to sort of get at my point that, um, we have work to do to start having the important, like one-on-one conversations, um, that will move people who are skeptical of getting the vaccine to get it, but we also have work to do, to try to get the vaccine into the arms of people who um, might just be having a challenging time finding a vaccine or finding the time off of work um, or someone to help them identify how to get the vaccine, but, might, but want it, right? Um, and, and sort of fighting the institutional barriers that, that exist.
2: I was just gonna say one little quick thing before you go and that is the facticity of it, the fake science of it, that is a characteristic of conspiracy rhetoric generally if you go back to the 18th century early 19th century even they have all these seeming facts that's what makes them plausible so this fits into you know the mode of you know anti-masonic conspiracy anti-catholic conspiracy every other crazy conspiracy the protocols of the elders of zion you don't necessarily know all of those audience but there, this is he's in a long line of conspiracy theorists using sleazy, destructive conspiracies for their own benefit,
0: yeah. you know, Claire, one of the things that I was struck by when you were talking about you know sort of that I, I see it as two problems. One is just folks who would get it if we could get access to them, right? and and make it accessible to them. The other is this block of folks who you know just don't want to do it right now or haven't or are afraid, or a number of other reasons. And and this is certainly the crowd Ron Johnson is playing to or stoking, right? Certainly not helping. I just want to say I'm struck by, we talk a lot about our, you know, about our field program that we're doing that involves a lot of empathetic listening. We call it a deep canvas. And I really think uh, there's a lot to be learned from that model for where we need to go. I mean, I would say as progressives and the kinds of conversations we need to have with others. Um, to get us to herd immunity, because this isn't like a winning a political fight. This is like winning a fight for our life. And it's really going to be through personal relationships and connections and conversations with these folks, parents talking to their kids, kids talking to their parents and relations, tough conversations, empathetic conversations to get folks vaccinated. We got to go. We're, we're past the break. When we come back, we're going to talk more. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin where Citizen Action you can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin for Citizen Action. We were talking about vaccination. We're talking very specifically also about Senator Ron Johnson uh, before the break and his efforts to really connect himself to the anti-vax crowd and how that is not helping us at all in terms of trying to push towards herd immunity. Um, I want to talk about one other issue before we start to move to the state uh, that's federal related. We've talked a lot about the uh, money, that the COVID relief money that's going to be coming to the state and how critically important this is. Uh, one of the big news this week is Wisconsin apparently is going to be receiving uh, less, or it, it appears at this point uh, we're going to be receiving uh, $700 million less than what we uh, anticipated receiving. Um, I just wanted to give either of you an opportunity to comment on this development. And of course, this is in the context of the Republicans in the legislature, literally trying to mess around with the state budget, potentially with this money and and mixing these two. Uh, Robert or Claire, just really want to get your thoughts on this situation. It's, it's, It's a lot of money we're talking about here.
2: I just say it's a lot of money either way. This is sort of like uh, you didn't win a billion dollars in the lottery. You you won half a million, half a billion. In other words, this wasn't this is only money that's there because President Biden and the Democrats, the progressive moderate coalition made an historic investment, at least three times the size of the too small Obama stimulus that set up the 2010 election route. And it's a calculation based on unemployment that Wisconsin is going to challenge. But, you know, the money. The, the money is still a lot of money, and it's good it's coming. And if we can get more, that's great. But if things are worse in other states, let's, be, let's think about the common interest, right? If things are worse in Detroit, they should get more money, okay? But we can challenge it. But it's still a ton of money, and you got to remember that the majority in the legislature, the rigged majority that wants to control the money, uh, 47 of them sent letters asking that the money never come at all, any money. And so they haven't governed in the least and they're still not governing.
1: I say all the more reason to accept badger care expansion. We're getting seven hundred million dollars, potentially less than uh, than we thought a few months ago when we were uh, well, I say we as if it's me, when the when the governor and his team were crafting the budget to Uh, and presumably taking into consideration how much money uh, they thought the state would get. Uh, And now it's, now it's 700 million less. Well, we passed Badger Care expansion. That's going to fill that hole right back up plus about an extra billion.
0: (laughs) You heard it folks make those calls right now. Claire Zauke says, you know, contact them. Look, Claire, you raise a really important point anyways, right? Which is this is all being done within the context of the state budget. We have talked about this, and there is more information. I'd like to talk more about this in terms of there's real internal issues within the Republicans within the state legislature in terms of their disagreements. Um, we've talked about some of that in the past, but you know, one of the major things that they, which is shameful, that they've been floating is this idea that they would deliberately produce significant budget holes. And force Evers to put this COVID relief money or other relief monies into fill the gaps. So that is the broader context of the fight we're having. And Robert, you're absolutely right to to mention it's like, you know, did you win the lottery or, you know, we're, you know, over what amounts. Um, but Claire, you know, that's an interesting point. Robert, I wanted to give you one final thought on this. And I do want both of you to comment on your thoughts on potentially uh, this the, legis- the, the state Republican party in the legislature in terms of their ability to come together. And then also let's remember we're having this conversation uh, after what happened with the motion and joint finance committee last week. And that happened
2: after we recorded.
0: So all of this stuff is sort of happening together, Robert.
2: Yes, there's an interesting dynamic now that and I, I wouldn't say that they're floating the idea of um, causing a deliberate uh, gap to force Evers to spend COVID rescue money on to just fill a budget hole. I, I haven't heard them float it, but that looks like what they're up to because they're having a temper tantrum over not being able to control money that uh, Evers has control of. That is what we get for the rescue plan. Robert uh,
0: Devin LeMayhew pretty much is much said as much, but I okay. hear you. It's, yep. I
2: missed that. Okay, so we thought it before he said it. So that's interesting. And there is increasingly evidence, and we've been tracking this very closely. It was it's been mostly subterranean. A um, a divide between the Senate and the Assembly, uh, you know, members on on Joint Finance Committee, which could be huge. But just remember, it's kind of like. It, the Senate might be closer to Lynn Cheney. They're willing to accept some reality, but she's still against us on everything. Remember, 95% voting record with Trump uh, versus the ones who are gonna throw her out because she won't claim that the election was stolen, right? And so I don't know if it leads to good public policy, but we've been tracking carefully. We think there are two to three uh, members of joint finance, including the co-chair, Howard Markline who actually want to take the money. And we think uh, Dale Koinga from the Milwaukee suburbs. And we think maybe uh, uh, Folskowski from the uh, Merrill and and, and surrounds area, but that's a little less certain. Uh, What was interesting when uh, both Claire and I tracked the Joint Finance Committee hearing very closely last week, lost a few IQ points, I'm sure, watching them. And uh, what was interesting is that the only positive thing about Badger Care expansion was from Senator Coingo said there was a, he, he said there was a that this it was ripe for a deal, but then he proceeded to talk about how he'd spend the money. Uh, it was interesting that the co-chair, the Senate co-chair Mark Line, was significantly silent even at the press conference on Badger Care and let the Assembly co-chair Mark Bourne do all the right-wing bossy and talking points about how it was welfare and everything else, but he was just silent which is interesting, but I don't know. We're trying to put massive pressure on the Senate side. It's an opening, but we don't know where it leads. What was interesting this week is that um, one of the Democratic members, Evan Goikiu, did a great job last Thursday. Call out to him. Uh, All all the Democrats did. Evan especially uh, performed well, I would say. Evan went on a radio show in Madison, the Devil's Radio Network, uh, where we also run uh, Battleground Wisconsin, and said that, the two sides hate each other, the Senate and Assembly, and that they're in fighting, you just don't see it in public. So that's our only possible play. I think it put it gives us an outside chance of getting badger care expansion. So I agree with Claire, keep on making the calls. Uh, but it's it, but as I say, it's hard to see this Senate uh, caucus as a as Knights in shining armor. They're gonna rescue much progressive policy.
0: So thanks Robert for obviously laying out you know, all of this interconnectedness with what's going on, both with the recovery money and how the Republicans are using this uh, in their battle Let's just to say in a political battle with the governor over the budget. And quite frankly, let's just say it over everything that's going on in Madison, there isn't real governing going on right now. Claire, I, I want to get your thoughts this week. You know, if as if the budget motion last Thursday wasn't bad enough, they rolled out a number of bills, both mostly in the assembly, they'll go through the Senate, um, just a series of awful bills that are intended to do one thing: stoke up their base. A uh, number of, like, including, like, we should be worried about what they're they're sending money and resources to to the border wall. I mean, come on. But Claire, want to get your thoughts on a number of them in you know a, a, a few of these bills, and in particular, you know, as a former school board member, uh, one of the pieces they did again was another another bill to expand the private voucher school program and who's eligible for it. Claire?
1: Yeah, I think the connection here that I want to draw is we just finished having this whole conversation about how Republicans in the legislature um, don't view health care as uh, a right and um, don't think that the government should be uh, putting money in, supporting, investing in uh, people's health um, or, in, or at least their health coverage in any sort of uh, affordable, making it affordable in any sort of way. Um, and yet they're just constantly trying to throw money at the uh, school choice program in the state, which pays for um, children to go to you know religious uh, educational institutions, private uh, educational institutions, um, and those income limits are already far, far greater than um, the eligibility limits for uh, badger care. So, you know, right now, badger care eligibility in Wisconsin sits at 100% of the federal uh, poverty line, um, but the Milwaukee Parental Choice and Racine Parental Choice, which is the the, the school voucher systems in Milwaukee and Racine. Uh, income limits for the 2021 to 2022 school year is at 300% of the federal poverty line and the Wisconsin, the rest of the state's program is at 220% of the uh, federal poverty limit. And so um, I, I think it's so disingenuous to say that the state should not be investing in the um, health care and the well-being of uh, of these people because it's, you know, they already have access to all of these high quality, Affordable option, health care options on the Affordable Care Act and all the subsidies and yada yada yada. Um, when, when you know, on this other issue on the school choice issue, they're just um, you know throwing throwing money at this public money um, for people at a much greater income income limit when there is a totally free <laughs> um, public education system um, that that we're already already also funding. Um, uh, anyways, yeah. So that that's yeah. my transition there, Matt I was yeah
0: I was up about this. <laughs> no, to- totally, totally get it. And again, we, we got to go to break. But I'll remind our listeners every time they put in to expand this private voucher system, that money's coming out of the public school system. And we're well over a hundred million a year where folks are uh, committed to that system. We got to take a break. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. Welcome back to the Battleground, Wisconsin. We are talking about what's been going on at the Capitol. Uh, specifically, before we went to break, we were talking about a series of just you know garbage uh, base bills that uh, the Republicans passed uh, in, in the Assembly and are certainly moving through the legislature and how all of this connects to just the The lack of legitimate governing and discussion that's going on in Madison, whether it be around the budget or all these issues. Roberts wanted to give you an opportunity to comment on what's been going on in the legislature this week and how it all ties
2: together. You have a series of bills that won't become law, which are designed to either set them up for their elections or to signal to their real uh, power sources behind them their shills for the power interest, the people they actually represent, so vouchers is part of that, right? And By the way, Claire, I think that they are perfectly fine giving privatized services that serve their donors and their constituents, like the major interests that fund them, um, to, to a very high degree, including without any income strictures. It's just that they aren't interested in any legitimate public services, and they certainly aren't interested in one of the great accomplishments in American history free public element, elementary and secondary school education. People forget that that's what uh, created a lot of America's uh, industrial dominance in the world. We're the first country to really do that in the 19th century. And they want to unwind it. So they're not even trying to go back to the 19th century. They're trying to go back to the 18th century. Uh, but there's a whole series of other bills. They want to stop local governments using private money to pay for elections. So this is part of the elections were stolen, a conspiracy narrative of they have, and they're, they've been trying to raise a scandal in Green Bay based on nothing. It's been thrown out as frivolous as a lawsuit a couple times. They've had a couple show hearings that have been embarrassments, like a Ron Johnson hearing at the federal level. And quite frankly, if they would adequately fund elections, if they actually cared about democracy and people turning out you would need to rely on private donors, but there is no evidence of any kind of corruption involved here. whatsoever. That's just it,
0: Robert. This is this is shameful. We are so inadequately funding elections, and that we throw this on local municipalities and clerks' offices, uh, and do it and try to repeat it over, you know, hundreds of ways throughout the state, and then underfund them. And we're now going to take resources from from. Uh, nonprofits and others who have ponied up to try to provide services so we could actually have done that election a pandemic. It's awful. This is really a shameful piece, uh, Robert. Sorry to interrupt.
2: No, no. You're, you're right to call that out, Matt. And then Claire mentioned the expanding uh, voucher school eligibility is a big favorite among uh, this rigged the legislature, uh, requiring the national anthem to be played at sporting events if there's any public money involved. So God forbid anyone should have any sporting event uh, that, you know, I mean, I I think it's this is an example. You know, they're all about freedom when it comes to whether you can take the vaccine or not, regardless of how many people it kills. But they're not about freedom when organizers an event decide how they're going to celebrate the country. There is not some sort of, you know, so if they say America, the beautiful instead of national anthem, it's unpatriotic. It's that kind of retrograde thinking. Um, and then they want to have a have a joint resolution supporting a constitutional convention because they want a, both a balanced budget amendment. By the way, who's brought the big budget deficit since the 1980s? The Republican presidents. OK. And the idea that they have actual fiscal prudence is of joke, fiscal conservatism means fiscal reckless recklessness these days, but also to uh, have term limits, which Mr. Voss doesn't actually support so more virtue signaling, because it would mean we wouldn't get his wonderful public service. Uh, But just remember, the original Constitutional Convention that created our governing structure was a Constitutional Convention that spun out of control. And the reason they can spin out of control is that they are a higher order of law than either federal law or any Supreme Court decision. So really, a lot of Constitutional scholars think that a Constitutional Convention, once you deputize it, can do what it wants. So take things like these bills and every other right-wing nostrum you can imagine coming from the Koch brothers, and they'll try to put it in the Constitution uh, if you give them a Constitutional Convention. Uh, and then there are some other lowlights, such as banning UW from requiring COVID vaccinations. So more vaccine denial and more, you have a right, based on your personal choice, to go infect everyone else. And to uh, cause more transmission and create more variants that might go around the vaccine. That is the danger. So, you have that kind of adolescent view of freedom that's coming from the right these days. And then you have the uh, two leaders in the assembly, uh, Steinecke and August, the number twos and number threes. They went to the border, those big border experts, you know, they can really evaluate immigration policy, and they have a resolution. Demanding that we send a whole bunch of National Guard troops to the border because of the immense threat they've suddenly discovered. So, more virtue signaling, more setting up for elections, more trying to rev up the Trump base that's about a baseless conspiracy assertion about a threat to the country.
0: Yeah, no, uh, this is uh, talk about the 2022 election. I think I joked on last week's show that the uh, JFC's executive order, mo- their motion, pulling out all of the very popular items was a, a beautiful list of election issues. Uh, this is it, right? Like if in many ways, one of the top election issues they're creating that they demonstrate over and over is why Governor Evers should matter to just about anybody who doesn't believe in, you know, sort of the QAnon conspiracy or the right wing base that they push because he's the only one standing in the way, unfortunately, given the gerrymandered legislature of this. It, it, it really, overall, I mean, just the series of inability to even, as Claire was talking about, right? Like, there's no, it, there's no negotiation. There's no place to have a discussion on this stuff. And so it really empowers Evers overall. And, in, in, you know, I, I would just argue going into an election for anyone who doesn't buy into the base. So that's one thing that I think is worth talking about. I. I wanted to get in transition and get both of you to talk about one piece of really lousy things that they're moving, uh, and that's related to unemployment. Um, One of the things that uh, during the pandemic that was suspended was this whole idea that you had to go out and do a job search. You had to, I believe it was four places in a week to get get your pandemic, uh, you know, to get your unemployment. Republicans are trying to push to get this back in, and again, this ties to their Broader argument they're trying to make that somehow we got to push everybody back into work. There's not enough workers who are willing to work for low wages. Claire, Robert, I mean, this this just gets to the heart of sort of where they're at on this, and and they and why they see any aid that would go to anyone is is not helpful because it doesn't push more people into these low wage jobs.
1: Yeah, I mean what this really is is that they're interested in getting back to exploiting people, people's labor for their own benefit, right? Um because they're not interested in trying to connect people with uh family sustaining living wage, high quality jobs that people are actually interested in doing um and, and which and to be honest which may very well be the types of jobs that they had before the pandemic, right? Like we're not just talking about people who were in um, low-wage jobs. We're talking about people in all kinds of jobs um, who who were affected by the the economic recession at the beginning of the pandemic. And and so to say like you you need to just be start looking for a job means that people need to start looking for a, literally any kind of job, and um, means that people might end up in uh, in having to apply and forced to accept jobs that are not living wage jobs are not family sustaining jobs, but that are sort of hurting for employees right now, precisely because people do not want to have to work for poverty wages, nor should they have to, right? And so and so, this is not about trying to like jumpstart the economy. This is not about, um, you know, uh, trying to force people who don't have some sort of work ethic uh, to, to find jobs and to, um, and and to stop using their unemployment benefits or something, right? I mean, this is this is this is really just about trying to exploit people's labor when they're when people are trying to resist that. It's a and, and,
0: and we know, Claire, this will cut this often is a way to cut people off, right? It's 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 just another way to cut folks off. And again, and Robert, before you comment, and I know we all have to go to break, we'll pick this up. This whole unemployment system is set up just to do that. And it's part of the problem. We're going to talk more about this with Wisconsin's unemployment system and a lot of these systems and their inability to meet the pandemic. And this is back to that, that this should be a system about punishing and pushing people out as opposed to actually providing support. So it's an excellent point, Claire. Robert, right before we go to break, you got a, a minute. We'll come back. We'll talk more about this uh, after the break.
2: Well, we, we're seeing this as a national trend. Five or six states Republican governors have turned down the federal bonus because they're buying into this idea that comes from the business leaders they listen to that they can't get any workers because people are sitting around unemployment, which is no, not evidence-based, based based on academic data, not even based on how much people want to work at all. I know we'll go, we'll say this after the break, but just remember in Europe, they pay to keep you on the employer's payroll. There's expectation we can just lay everyone off and then they're just sitting there ready after a year to come back when you, when you could use them. That is the attitude of American business. And I understand small businesses have no choice and might support this, but I just want to say it's tough for a small restaurant. But in Europe, this wouldn't be a problem because your workers would have been collecting you know, their wages waiting for you to be able to reopen and then would have been available.
0: And with that, we got to take our last break. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We are talking about uh, unemployment. And in particular, we're talking about the Republicans' push to make folks who are unemployment go back to job searching. And if they don't, you know, get pushed off. And it's really, quite frankly, part of a broader system, uh, UI unemployment system uh, problem that we've been talking about. Robert, you've talked about it nationally that uh, these systems are set up not to actually provide folks with benefits, but to actually push people out, screen people out, find ways not to provide these benefits. Uh, And it has led to a real bottleneck. And we saw this in Wisconsin, Uh, just massive amounts of problems last year, both with the IT side of how our Department of Workforce Development implemented, is implementing uh, unemployment insurance, but also just the backlog, the amount of staff, the ability to handle that and do it with a system that is completely gridlocked and intended to actually put people through unbelievable constraints. Robert, I know you had more you wanted to say, and then Claire wanted to give your thoughts on this.
2: So we have a report from... A, uh, a think tank on the uw campus there's one very right-wing economist there are other colleagues there who last time he did this with foxconn the one economist who said it was a good deal his own colleagues wrote a counter report a couple months later of course his report got a lot more attention because the republicans and walker then used it and said see 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 and so he is saying we just need to privatize partially uh, the, uh, the the unemployment system in, in Wisconsin. And it's just based on absurd assumptions. Obviously, there are plenty of states and countries that run these systems very effectively, completely with the public sector, with civil servants. It's a matter of whether you fund it and whether you have a workable system. And so why are we even looking to this? This is just a way to pay off people who will become campaign donors and probably are already. It's not even a rational argument, really. They have a 1970s computer system. This is an endemic problem in government because both Democrats and Republicans have been starving government for resources since the 1980s, and quite frankly, including the Doyle and Evers administrations. It's not just Republicans, but Republicans are even more supercharged on this. So there was an audit by the Legislative Audit Bureau. The way are really well structured because it was done by progressives. In the early 20th century, state government has set up their independent agencies that looked at problems. They didn't audit. They said, there's going to be a big problem. The next time we had an unemployment surge in 2014. And did Governor Walker and that legislature govern? Of course not. Because as Matt pointed out, they don't want to pay benefits, right? They actually want to make it harder. And then Governor Evers took over this ticking time bomb and Quite frankly, I think he could have had a more robust response. I think he should have been very cl- much clearer with the bully pulpit what the situation was, much faster, and have demanded more resources and probably surged more internal resources towards the Department of Workforce Development. Instead, he uh, blamed the DWD secretary, Caleb Frostman. Uh, maybe Caleb Frostman did do a very good job, but I'm sorry. He was on the ship, uh, the deck of a Titanic. And if anyone has gone through the unemployment system, it treats them like they are, I don't know, uh, the, the worst, most dishonest person imaginable, all the questions that are asked, right? And, it's a, system to, and it doesn't, it's a system designed to punish. It really is. And it goes back to this idea that the poor or people who don't have jobs, it's their fault, right? And therefore, they must go all through these hoops because we are so concerned about them. And, and it, this just continues, and I don't think Democrats call it out enough. And I think we need to push this in a way that if we can deal with redistricting and ever get back to this legislature, we actually make a working unemployment system. It's kind of a—it's a very important innovation from the early 20th century. Also, Wisconsin played a huge role in developing that has been completely undermined and uh, in the current system. And then we blame government for it when it's about us blaming government. In other words, it's this hatred of government and the othering of government that is endemic to both right wing philosophy and neoliberal democratic philosophy over the last several decades. Biden, with progressives like Bernie Sanders, are starting to change at the national level. It needs to change here at the state level, too, with state Democrats.
0: Claire, did you have anything else you wanted to add?
1: Well, I do have one politician uh, with whom I want to place some blame, <laughs> and that's our former governor. Because uh, <laughs> I do have, I do have a uh, some per- personal, firsthand knowledge about what it's like to work in a government after Scott Walker was the executive. Uh, I know when I worked in the Milwaukee County Executive's office, we inherited a government that had been misrun by that man. Uh, um, by uh, for, for many, many years. Um, and every single bureaucracy, every single government process, every department was just a mess because he was so clearly more interested in his advancing his own political career and um, trying to keep any anything bad that, that would make him look bad out of the public eye um, that he totally ignored how the departments were actually operating. And so um you know, to even two years after we were in that office, we were still uncovering things that were a mess. Um, whether it was, uh, you know, corruption scandals of things that have been going on under Walker's eye for years that he didn't care to to weed out or whether it was just, you know, budget holes, poor operating standards, bad culture, things like that. Um, and so I say that to say, you know, Governor Ebert is is now about two years, right? I have no concept of time. I think it's been that long, uh, maybe three uh, into um, his term uh, as sort of the post the post Walker guy, and I would not be surprised if this department were still um, struggling from what I assume is would be a tremendous amount of mismanagement and um, perp- maybe even to your point, purposeful mismanagement to try to make this department as challenging for its users as possible, and. Um, I do know Amy Pachachek, who's the the new person in charge of the office. Um, she's from her time at the county. My experience with her is that she was one of the most highly competent um, people that I'd ever worked with in that field and is, is just whip smart. And I think um, we'll, we'll hopefully, um, if we if we give her a chance, uh, we'll, we'll have a good shot at turning that department around. Um, and I know she does care about good processes. I know she does care about people. Um, and I, I hope that we, that we give, you know, good public servants, um, like her and hopefully the team that is in that department now, um, the chance to, to be good public servants, um, and not just assume that we need to, uh, turn the lion's share of this important service over to the private sector in order for it to be fully functional.
0: Well, let's, uh, I, I hope her the best. Uh, this is absolutely critical. It's critical for us as progressives that this uh, get fixed for both a broader role of government, uh, but also uh, the, we desperately need a functioning unemployment insurance uh, system. It's really important to our vision of the world. And, uh, Claire, what, I love the way you talked about it. And Robert, you brought up this whole idea, right? Like in Europe, they gave people money so they could stay with their employer. And Claire, you talked about that disconnect in our system. That person gets laid off and then they got to go try to find that right mix. And does that puzzle piece always fit? No. How do you create a system to better think that through and to better take care of people when they legitimately are you know, unemployed, which is most people, as opposed to the system that it absolutely is set up to make people feel like they're the problem, that they're trying to cheat the system, you know, and it stands in sharp contrast to what we do with corporations and how we give them money and then don't hold them accountable or claw the money back or do it, you know, and we're talking at a scale of just significantly more. Uh, Robert, I know you wanted one more final say on this before
2: we go. I was just going to say we get confused by the economic data that the stock market wants that's only reported on media. The unemployment rate is a not a very helpful number. It's simply people who are actively looking as tracked by, by government sources. There is a huge gap between the number of people who want to work and the number of available jobs, and there has been all along. It's gotten worse because of the depression that was induced by the pandemic for the working class depression. And so you have that. But when we built a lot of Wisconsin in the progressive era, the reason was a real emphasis on public administration. There's a reason Claire went, for a master's degree to the La Follette School, right? Because we had a real emphasis on that. We have these great uh, service agencies that became a, a, a uh, model for other states. And if we're going to have this turn, we want as progressives, where we start to use our democracy again to turn the corner and rebuild, a, a, you know, an economy that is racially just and prevents a climate genocide and guarantee healthcare as a right. We need to start caring a lot more about public administration. And we've got to get beyond kind of Bill Clinton used to get up there and brag how few employees there were in the federal government. Well, guess what? It meant there was a whole bunch of private contractors with a low road, uh, low road jobs or a few at the top taking all the money. And so we need to move away from that and really start to care about running things again.
0: And with that. We're gonna to have to wrap up this Battleground Wisconsin. But before we go, I do wanna to mention to everyone, uh, next Monday, Monday, May 17th at noon, really important rally and that rally is for fair maps. Uh, redistricting is gonna be coming up. Everybody knows we've talked about it. We have horribly gerrymandered maps throughout the state and a number of other states, critical issue. Please join us at the Capitol building, noon, Monday, May 17th, rally for fair maps. Citizen Action co-op member, former organizer Jeff Smith will be speaking, number of other folks, a co-op member, Sachin Cheta. Folks, get out there, attend. Thanks again. We want to thank Brian Wildridge, our producer who makes the podcast happen every week. And with that, we'll see you next week here at the Battleground, Wisconsin.